0: Gold Cord by Amy Carmichael, and I'm on chapter 27, and this is the prelude to chapter 27. The cross of Christ is the only hope of the world. Our constant danger is that we cry, behold this new opportunity, behold our new methods, behold our human brotherhood, and forget to cry, behold the Lamb of God. Dr. Zwemer tells of the Abyssinian representative at the Treaty of Versailles. He was thinking of the future of the world and of how peace could only be through the sacrifice of Christ. In his Abyssinian mind, conceived the idea of representing this in symbolism. He sought out a Paris artist and gave him his ideas. The result is the famous painting of the crucifixion so weird in its conception, so real in its symbolical significance, strangely attractive and compelling in its message. The Savior is hanging on a cross which rests between two globes of the eastern and western hemispheres against a cloudy and lurid sky. A halo of coming victory already rests above the thorn-crowned head of the sufferer who looks down upon two worlds for which he died. Blood drops from his pierced hands color every continent and island red. It is a vision of the whole world redeemed by the blood of Christ. Underneath the painting, one can read in three languages. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Chapter 27 pilgrimage. The arrival of a child is a beginning that asks for a faithful continuance. And as we have said before, this means a bending of everything we have to give towards a single purpose. But all around us are Hindus and Muslims. We could not forget them. One day when we were wishing that we could do more for them, we were greatly comforted by this word, I will bring them to you. We were not at Dhanipur when that word came. And when we returned home, it was a beautiful thing, but not a surprise to find someone waiting for us. She was a Brahmin widow who had gone on pilgrimage to all the holy places of South India, looking for light. And now she was brought to us who could not go to seek her. Since then, we have seldom been without someone brought to us apart from anything that we have done. I will bring them to you. And the coming of this dear woman, Jasmine, we call her in the widow of the jewels, was the beginning of a new work for which we coined a new name, Pilgriming. We had never quite discontinued going to temple festivals, but we could not go often. And the thought of those crowds as sheep without even the semblance of a shepherd, had never left us. It was in the month of April, 1920, that the new leading came. April is one of our hottest months, not the season anyone would choose for that stirring up of the Spirit that sometimes must be if prayer is to be effective. There is none that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, cried Isaiah. None rouses himself to take firm hold on thee. The word smite the slothful soul, and heat does somehow tend to sloth. But on a Sunday in that hot month, to those of us who were not in the forest, as we knelt together at noon, the thought of the urgency of our Lord's last command and of his, we hope near, return led to our hearing as we believed his word to us about two of our number. Separate them unto me for the temple festivals. Those two whose names came before us then were Edith Nash and Jasmine, the Brahmin pilgrim. To the one had been given a great love for the people, ability to travel without too much strain, and, this counted for much, silver hair. To the other was all that her wonderful background gave her, and with it a deep affection and a rare humility of spirit. Brahmin as she was, She never seemed to feel her Brahminhood, but it opened doors to her that are fast closed to most. To these two, the call was confirmed. And just then a gift came from New Zealand, enough to cover the expenses of several pilgrimages. It was marked Maranatha, the Lord cometh. From that time on till a while, the villages claimed them. Our pilgrims were perpetually traveling from festival to festival. They were often the only witnesses for their master, among thousands, sometimes among tens of thousands. Such work is exhausting. The trains are crammed. The heat in third-class compartments is almost unendurable. But just in those packed places lies the opportunity. Then the immense crowds around the temple, the glare, the crush, the pandemonium of sounds, the heat, sap the strength. Often there is no privacy, no quiet. Life must be Indian in every possible way. Only the tireless love of the Lord is enough for such fatigue. Ordinary evangelistic energy has a disconcerting way of evaporating. All you want, all your uncomfortable flesh and slack soul want is to get out of the noise and the crush and smells and be cool and clean again. But he who sat by the well, too tired to walk farther, and yet not too tired to speak eternal words to a needy woman, he can teach us how to draw on his immortal tenderness. After each of these tours, our pilgrims used to come back and tell the children something of what they had seen. Once they described a boy from some northern land, fatherless and motherless, was traveling from temple to temple such a lonely child they had nothing in his language but he knew a little english so they gave him a wordless book and explained it to him and with a single seed in his hand he went on end of chapter 27